Welcome to the latest Known Pleasures FlexiDisc. This is where we deliver tiny bite-sized morsels of post-punk goodness wrapped in a spicy new wave outer shell and delivered straight to your door via the Uber streaming services of your local podcast provider. Today, we will be discussing the Simple Minds album, Empires and Dance. Now, Patrick, is it fair to say that with our first, our very first podcast on the Simple Minds, back in those heady days of ah, yes. April 2017, is it fair to say that you weren't 100% happy with our Simple Minds? <laughs> to a certain degree, it's gone into uh, known pleasures folklore that one or two members of the team aren't that thrilled about the very first podcast we ever did on Simple Minds. It was slightly disorganised, I think. And at the time, we didn't have music. There was a quiet underlay of music throughout, but basically it was just the three of us yammering on for three or four hours. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm keen to revisit the band. Every uh, album? Pretty much. uh, Starting with? Starting with uh, Empires and Dance. In 1980, Simple Minds were at a bit of a crossroads. They released two albums, their label, Arista, was somewhat sceptical or disillusioned with them. The second album, Real to Real Cacophony, had just been kind of mystifying to them. As Derek Forbes said, you know, the first thing they said when they heard it was, where are the hits? Where are the hits? And the first album, Life in a Day, had had um, Chelsea Girl, was a song that seemed like it was a precursor to a to a commercial sound for the second album. But at the end of the second album, it's like the label is going, what have we got on our hands with this band? They're getting artier, you know, rather than uh, more commercial. Mm. So Simple Minds went into the studio and the thing they'd done that was probably most significant between the second album and the third album was that they'd been to Europe. And this album reeks of mm. continental travel, I think I think mm. we can agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Jim Kerr said it's a travel log with spiky dance music. Mm. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, it is very European. Yeah. And you can see to a certain extent on Real to Real Cacophony, the kind of Germanic, kraut rockish kind of influences, a bit of craft work and Bowie and so on. Mm. This album, from the first notes of the first track, which is also the first single, I believe, I Travel, you hear the... Pew, pew, sounds. (laughs) (laughs) And it is not a traditional post-punk album. And from I Travel onwards, it is a real kind of roller coaster of a journey. And I have to say, I absolutely love this album. Okay. When did you uh, first hear it? At the time? I think the first Simple Minds song I ever heard was from Sons and Fascination, the following album. Mm. So I think I was surprised retrospectively to hear this album like a year or two after Sons and Fascination came out and and it just sounded so different Mm. because there was something, would you say, sinuous about the bass lines and the rhythm tracks and so on of Sons and Fascination. This was way more rigid and disco-ish and kind of square rhythms. Well, the first song, there's there's this sort of a Donna Summer element to it, Mm, uh, mm. the sequence running through it. Your Charlie, Charlie Birchall, the guitarist, said that Simple Minds were always on the nick, so they were always (laughs) looking to steal stuff from other bands. I think I Feel Love was certainly (laughs) um, an influence on, on I Travel for sure. I read a quote that said that uh, Derek Forbes and the drummer Brian McGee built the rhythmic scaffold and Brian McGee is Empires and Dance unerring pulse, which allows Forbes to take the melodic lead with a series of extraordinary bass lines and his mm. bass lines are, are melodic. 
in some songs, they're the only melodic part because uh, yeah, Jim yeah. Kerr's, uh sometimes he's he's talking the lyrics, sometimes he's just rarely um, melodic on this album. As you said, it's very cold and European, but I think um, Derek Forbes really holds a lot of these songs together. Mm. It's the repetition, I think, which is the key to it in terms of the bass playing and the rhythms in general. Mm. I mean, Derek is definitely the key there, but they are determinedly unfunky mm. bass lines. They're quite kind of metronomic, if I can use that term. The repetition was absolutely deliberate. Jim Kerr said, We looked at the way we structured the songs on the first two albums. There we'd worked with a lot of transitions and breaks as if they were evolving dramas. Now we began to realise that change comes out of repetition. Robert Fripp once said that, and everything he says is way over my head. But then I suddenly saw what he meant. If you look at something for a long time, it begins to move. It gets blurred. Mm. And they're certainly going for the blur on some of the longer tracks, which are just the same rhythm over and over and over and over mm. and over again, and is exactly right about that. It does give the music a really unusual quality because it doesn't have a lot of chord changes, this yeah. album. It is about the groove, yeah, to, the, to the, use the term groove pretty loosely. Some of the str song structures apparently emerge from long jams. It's stretched from midday until the early hours. <laughs> John Leckie was a big influence on the band because he had mm. produced Magazine's Real Life album, as fans of Magazine will know, Mark, mm -hmm. looking at you. Um, XTC's White Music, fans of XTC will know that, looking at you, Graham. Yeah, and, and later he produced the Stone Roses debut album. Radiohead's album The Bend. So he already had a pedigree and he had future pedigree mm. to, to come. And he was also the first vegetarian Simple Minds had ever met. So, <laughs> and they were saying, like, what's that? So they learnt a lot from John Leckie from production techniques to the correct use of salads. You don't hear a lot of production on the album. There's a bit of uh, reverse reverb and quite a bit of delay. But you can tell that it seems that the band themselves is defining the sound or that mm. the production is a natural result of the sound being created by the band. Mark, what do you make of the album? I was going to ask you, why do you think it's important or influential? I think I said it was great. <laughs> and I don't know whether it's... It, I can't really talk about its influence because I don't know that it had very much influence because Simple Minds moved on to a completely different sound almost mm. by Sons and Fascination the following year. So it almost didn't have a chance to be influential. It was almost like the end of disco, like the end of a disco era. There was a year or two before that kind of electronic disco-ish, pop-ish sort of sound mm. came back in with the new pop of what, 81-ish? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think I Travel was pretty funky and that was getting played in clubs like uh, yeah, Rusty, no, no, Rusty that's Egan's I mean. yeah, that's the, club yeah, yeah. Blitz. I thought it was pretty influential myself but um, maybe the influences are not apparent until later on. I think songs like Fear of Gods are very funky. They actually swing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, there, really... there are definitely songs that swing but there's a lot more, I think, of a general kind of kraut rock. Mm. Yeah. It's definitely Derek Forbes' album to me. Your Charlie Birchall was prominent on a lot of Simple Minds albums, but he's just about least prominent of all the albums, you know, the, the first five or six albums that we like the most, probably. This is the one where Charlie kind of disappears into the middle distance, relatively speaking, given how prominent he is on some of the other ones. Mm. I really liked um, I Travel, and I think I, I heard it on Triple Z at the time. Brisbane Radio Station. Brisbane Radio Station. Wasn't yes. it part of their 
trips and um, people requiring rides promo segment they had. It was, that's right. Yeah. They had a little we, thing we where people wanted... In our very first uh, episode, but yeah. What was it called? Trips, maybe. <laughs> I thought there was a particular name for it, but I can't remember what it was. You're not going to top trips. Yeah. What about you travel? You topped it immediately. <laughs> yeah, as I said, because it, it, it seemed to have that sort of Donna summary... Uh, quality with that uh, sequence. Celebrate seems to invoke that old Gary Glitter beat. A bit of glam there. I love Fear of Gods, which I think you can kind of hear where they're going on, uh, or where they will be going on Sons and Fascination. There's, there's a hint of it there. Chorus bass on Capital City, I really like. And that descending keyboard melody reminds me of Happy Birthday IBM, although they wouldn't have heard that song. Constantinople line, I really like. Another great bass line. And it's got this stop-start beat. You know, we used to talk about it being European mm. and almost being drum machine in, in the way yeah, that yeah, uh, yeah. Brian McGee plays. There's this wonderful stop-start thing that he does at the beginning. Twist Run Repulsion, whilst it may be a tad pretentious, is very European. I think it's in a, a, like a 6-8 time. And I read somewhere recently that Charlie Birchall plays sax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Song. And it's a really kind of wailing, straining saxophone. I think, <laughs> I think it sounds fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, and, and I, like you, didn't uh, hear this until much later. Like Sons and Fascination was the first album that I heard of theirs. So I went back and heard this uh, some years later. I love it. Uh, I didn't really get into the first couple of mm. Simple Minds albums. But I think on this one is, is where they really um, started to show the world how interesting they were. And they had really stretched their horizons far beyond Glasgow with, and you can tell from the Cyrillic alphabet letters on the cover, the backwards R and the what upside down N, mm. and song titles Constantinople and Kant Kino, which is the name of a, uh, a cinema in Berlin. You were speaking of uh, pretentious. I'm not saying this is pretentious, but they do at one point feature a female vocal reciting in French a story by the Russian novelist Nikolai Gogol. <laughs> That's what I was referring to when I said the word pretentious. <laughs> so it's almost like a list of just think of like the top three things you could have that yeah. would define a song as pretentious. Russian novelist involved in French. If you picture Jim Kerr in particular as a 20 or 21-year-old going to Europe, travelling around, Cold War, going to Berlin with the wall up. <laughs> yeah, you should never go to Berlin with the walls up. <laughs> scary time. There's a lot of military imagery in the lyrics and I think the album does beautifully kind of evoke a really kind of icy political time. So yeah, I think it really is an album of its time. Sum it up in a word. I would say European. I've got two. I would have said linear and the other one's hyphenated, game changing. Mm. So either of those. I would say icy again with icy just having a kind of a sharpness to it, so not 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 quite cold, so icy, <laughs> um, uh, but also uh, tense. That's uh, 
with that S-A. <laughs> tense. <laughs> tense, yes, the kind of music you can go camping in. S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S